Welcome to First Hamilton CRC Sermon Podcast. My name is Chris Schoon. I serve as the lead pastor here at First Hamilton. We are delighted that you are listening in. We hope and pray that this message will be an encouragement to you as you seek to know and follow Jesus Christ. I'll be reading from Romans chapter 8 beginning with verse 28 and up to verse 30. It's a short little piece. Romans 8, beginning with verse 28, which is actually on page 1757 of your, of your Bibles. Hear these words of God. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Len. I want you to think for a moment and invite you to think for a moment of a scary word or a word that you don't like to hear or say, okay? Now, I'm not asking you to think of swear words, not that, so let's not go there, but, but just a word that you don't like hearing or or you don't like saying. And I'll I'll give an example. It's actually when this question is asked on surveys, this is one of the words that is most frequently said that people don't want to hear. So you're going to hear it. Moist. Moist. People just don't like the sound of that word. So think for a minute. Other words, words that you don't like to hear or don't want to, uh, to say. Go ahead, just think about it for a moment. Anyone have a word they well, go ahead. Fleshy. Fleshy. All right. Other ones. Go ahead. Way back there, yes. Death. Death. All right. Yep. Others. Go ahead. Dependent. What? Dependent. Dependent. Yeah. Jules. Cancer. Yep. Nate? Predestination. Did you read my sermon notes? Yeah, predestination. I don't know how many of you heard that word in this passage, but it shows up here, doesn't it? Predestination. We hear that word and we go, it kind of gives us those heebie-jeebies, they say, the shivers in our bones that we're like, what is this word about? And, And we get all sorts of images with it. In fact, when I meet with people and I talk about profession of faith, which I, I, I've met with, with a number of people in the church over the last few years about that, this becomes the word they all want to talk about at some point. So what's this predestination? Did God create some people to send them to heaven and other people to damn them to hell? That's the question. That's what we tie up in this word, predestination. And, and we get nervous and we put a word with it, election. 
not as in a political election, which can be bad enough for some of us. It is election to be saved for eternity or sent to hell for eternity. And those two ideas get stuck in our heads and in our hearts and give us a sense of fear of God, an unhealthy fear of God. Paul in this text doesn't shy away from that word though. He's writing to the Romans, to a a community of people who are far away that he hopes to see one day, and and he's trying to encourage them in the faith. And, And this passage is embedded in a context of God's love. It starts off in chapter 8, verse 1 with, those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. And it ends with, we can never be separated from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And in the middle of this, Paul goes into places about suffering and struggling and even talks about how the world, creation itself, is groaning for God's salvation. This longing for God to step in and fix what is wrong and what is broken. And it is in that context that he uses this word predestination. We're going to talk about that a little bit this morning, but but before we get to the word itself, I want to start with the first words of this passage. In all things, God works. It's important for us to hear that word in the context of even what we've heard this morning. Alicia shared with us the brokenness of a country right now, a country that seemed to be doing well, that things were going well, and suddenly she can even pinpoint the date, April 18. It crumbled in a devastating way. We can go to a number of other countries around the world that have had similar type things and and we don't even have to go looking at other places because we can look in our own lives. And some of us can name dates on the calendar in the same way. Dates when, when things seemed to be well and suddenly came crumbling down. And things don't make sense to us and our hearts cry out and we don't know what to do with the suffering that we are experiencing and the pain that is in our hearts and in our lives. It's in that passage, that context of suffering that Paul speaks these words. In all things, God is at work. God works. In all things. This may be one of the biggest steps of faith for us to take, to be in the midst of suffering and brokenness and say, I still believe. I still trust you, God. I still follow you. Even though the circumstances around me right now tell me to give up hope, Even though the circumstances around me tell me that you are absent, even though the circumstances around me scream that everything is broken, I still trust you. I trust that you are at work. Paul is most likely in prison as he's writing this. He's in a place where things don't make sense and he doesn't know the future outcome of what's going to happen. 
If you read the end of Acts, the last few chapters of Acts, which tell about Paul's journey, he's arrested in Jerusalem on false charges and, and condemned by the Jewish leaders, and they want to stone him on the spot, and a Roman centurion comes in and rescues him, and, and then he gets put in prison while they try to sort things out. And he ends up being in prison in two years while the, the chief judge of that time, who's supposed to hear his case, calls him in frequently, hoping he'll give him a bribe that will allow him to say, okay, now you can go free. And for two years, he sits in jail. And then from those, that space, he ends up going on this journey by boat in which there's a shipwreck, and he gets bit by a snake, and all sorts of other things happen. And then he finally gets to Rome where his case is going to be heard before the Roman emperor. And the end of Acts doesn't tell us how that Paul's life ended. It just says, and for two years, he witnessed day in and day out under house arrest. A better part of five years of his life in prison, waiting for God to deliver him, waiting for God to show up, waiting for God to be powerfully at work and, and do something to, to justify his innocence and show him that he should never have been arrested in the first place. And in that space of the five years, Paul writes all sorts of letters that are now part of our New Testament and talks about having faith in God and trusting in a God who is at work all the time. A God who doesn't stop working. A God who is working, and, and it says in this text, he's working for our good. God is at work behind the scenes for our good. When we listen to the story of Scripture, we hear that, that even now Jesus Christ is at work, putting every enemy under his feet until the last enemy, including death, is defeated. God is always at work. And so for us to hear this word about predestination, we need to be in that space where we hear the context of the passage that it's talked about, which this is incredible grace, that in Christ Jesus there's no condemnation. And for those who love Christ Jesus, we will never be separated from the love of God in Jesus Christ. And because of that, we have this assurance that even now, even in the most horrific circumstances, in the most painful circumstances in our life, God is at work. And it's in that confidence that we hear this word predestination. It's important for us to take just a little step back and hear what that word is like in the two passages in Scripture it's talked about. Predestination, that word comes up only in two places. This one that we just read, and it comes up also in the beginning of Ephesians. And, and I'll just read one of the two references there. But both times in that Ephesians passage, it's also talking about God's goodness to us. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined, according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And that idea of that we might be for the praise of his glory, 
puts us back to the beginning of the first reference in Ephesians, which says that he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And even if you dig through that passage, to be adopted as God's kids. Predestination is God choosing us and saying, I want you to be part of my family. It's God choosing us and saying, I want to do something in you to restore you and to heal you and to make you like Christ. And that's actually where Paul goes in this passage. It's not talking about predestined to some eternity while others are damned to hell. Paul says in this passage that as God is working in the tangible circumstances of our life, whether good or bad, whether full of pain or full of joy, as God is at work in us, God's purpose is that we would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. In other words, that we would become more like Christ. That's what God's predestined us to. He's predestined us that we would become more like Jesus Christ. John, as he's writing his letter later on, one of his first epistles, he's writing that letter and and he says in there, if any of us want the assurance that we're in God, we just need to start living like Jesus did. Because we can't live like Jesus unless God is at work in us. But if God is at work in us, we live like Jesus. We're called into a new way of life that is, is full of who Christ is. It's not a word of judgment or of fear, but it's a word of invitation. Come, be like Christ. Come, enter into this new life that's promised to us in Jesus Christ. Come, live like Jesus did, in perfect relationship with the Father, in perfect relationship with those around him, in perfect relationship with the creation itself. Come, be like Christ. We're predestined to be like Christ. The beauty of this passage is it doesn't leave that on us. It doesn't say to us, Betty, now you've got to go and figure out how to be like Christ and do it all yourself. It doesn't say that. It says to us, predestined to be conformed, which means someone else is at work in this story. It's not about our effort to be like Christ by ourselves. It's not about us kind of pulling ourselves up by the spiritual bootstraps and saying, I'm going to be perfect today. It's God stepping in and saying, I'm giving you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, you are going to be transformed in such a way that you are conformed to that image of Christ. It's as if Christ is put on us, like a piece of clothing. Paul, as he's writing to the church in Colossae, talks about it as clothe yourselves with compassion. Have it put on you so that it becomes part of who you are. It becomes part of what you're known for, this compassion. Or as he's writing to the Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit, that it would grow in us and we'd be full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. That these things, these characteristics of Christ himself, would become characteristics of us. This is what God is working towards in each of us, that the characteristics of who Jesus Christ is would become characteristics that define us. I don't know about you, but I got some growing to do in this area. 
I have been able to name, and I name it with my family and others, I have a tendency to get angry at times. And some days I wake up angry and I don't even know why. I've gone and talked to a counselor about it, so you can tell me to do that. I, I do, all right? I keep working at this, trying to understand where that comes from and, and what's going on with it. But it is part of me learning I'm still growing. I'm still being conformed to this image of Christ. I'm still learning to name the ways in which my life doesn't line up with God's life, with the life of Jesus Christ, his son, whether in my speech or my actions or just the attitude of my heart, to become a person who is more and more like Christ means actually, Yvonne, you used that word dependent. It means becoming dependent on the Holy Spirit to work in us, to move in us, to do things in us so that we are transformed and conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. If you read all of Romans 8, which I encourage you to do at some point, even this afternoon, take a Bible, sit outside in the sunshine, read Romans 8. It talks about how the Spirit is at work groaning on our behalf, groaning and longing that we too might be transformed until we, in all circumstances, are conformed to that image of Jesus Christ. This is really a promise. Predestined is a promise from God that in the midst of our brokenness, whether the circumstances around us or the brokenness in our own lives, in our own hearts, God will continue to work in us through the Holy Spirit until we reach that point where we are conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Rather than a scary word or a threatening word, this word of predestined, is a word of comfort that God gives that whether the brokenness in the world or the brokenness within us, neither will be strong enough to stop God's work of transforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. There's another word of assurance that comes at the very end. It says, those God predestined, he called. Those he called, he justifies. Those he justifies, he glorifies. That word glory is a powerful word. It shows up all through the Bible, beginning to end. That word glory comes in. We encounter it when the temple is being built. That tabernacle, the first tabernacle is being built. The end of Exodus, the people have gone and, and gathered all sorts of supplies. They've actually knit cloth together. They've, they've melted gold and silver and bronze, and they've built this incredible tabernacle in which God has promised to live in their midst. And when it's finished, it says the glory of God descended on the tabernacle and filled it to overflowing. And that glory of God coming down and filling the tabernacle becomes an image that the prophets draw in of a promise that one day God would send his spirit who would come down and fill us. Paul, again, writing to the Corinthians, talks about how we have the glory of God in us. And that glory of God is sometimes hidden from the world, sometimes, I'd say, hidden from ourselves. But that glory of God dwells in us by the Holy Spirit. And then he uses this phrase, but we have this tre treasure in jars of clay. Jars of clay. In that age, the word he's using there means the throwaway pots, similar to what we throw away plastic and styrofoam cups. The throwaway pots 
those broken little things. That's how we are. We're broken. We've got all sorts of holes and cracks in us. We, we don't in and of ourselves show the glory of God very well. We're not perfect vessels. But when God fills us, when he gives us his Holy Spirit, he does so in a way that causes his glory to shine in us, his glory to fill us, his glory to flow through us, his glory to show up even in those broken places of our lives. Even in those places that are are scarred by pain and sorrow. Even in those places that are scarred by sin and guilt. God's grace, God's spirit comes in and fills us to the point that his glory shines through our cracks. We are being conformed to the image of God. This is not our work. This is the work of God our Father through the Son, Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit coming to bear on each and every one of us. So then what are we to do? (laughs) How do we respond to this word of assurance that God is conforming us to the image of his Son? Ann Voskamp has a couple different books on brokenness now and living in our brokenness. And at one point, she talks about how how what we are called to do, what we are called to do in response to this good news that God is always at work in us, simply to love the people around us. We love some big grand task. Send me across the world. Tell me how I can prove I'm worthy of all this. And God says, just love the person next to you. Because as we give God's love away to others, his love becomes more complete and more evident within us. As we begin to love others, even when they don't love us in return, we become more like Jesus, who while we were his enemies, loved us enough to die on the cross for us. Let's pray. Whether in good times or in sorrowful spaces, whether we are jubilant or grieving, whether we find ourselves in the mundane in between times where we feel bored. Lord, in all these circumstances, may you give us eyes to see your work, your hand, your spirit moving among us and in us, calling us to be more like Christ. Whether encountering a sin that we have not been able to give up for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, or whether we are encountering a sin that we never expected would be part of our lives, may you give us the grace to see that you have not abandoned us, but that you are still forgiving, still loving, still compassionate, still at work, and that not even our sins can turn you away from us. Heal us, forgive us, 
conform us to the image of Christ so that we might in all things and in all times love others the way you have loved us. In Christ Jesus we pray. Amen.